happening now. We want to welcome our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Wes Fryer, and you're in the EdTech Situation Room. Welcome to our first our first blab. Um, I actually was participating in one of these about uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, and I've heard from Peggy George like this is the platform for for live uh, web discussions. And so Jason and I have been planning the show for a couple of years. And Jason, I I have to give you the shout out that in like a succinct four sentences, you did this great summary of what we hope to contribute to the ed tech world. So for <laughs> for those of you who um, are joining us, we have a list of show notes. Our plan is to talk a little bit about some, some current articles and trends for educational technology. You can find that at edtechsr.com. And if you click the link, the, uh, the link that says links, you'll see our uh, show notes for tonight. And, uh, we are also going to have the chance to open it up to some guests and folks who may want to chime in on, on some ideas. And, uh, Jason, I just have to say that the one thing I definitely would like to do is to have another shot at the, the Apple, you know, quarter results and that, because I, I think I <laughs> rambled last time and, um, uh, you know, if anyone from Apple is watching, they may be questioning, is Wes really an Apple fanboy after? <laughs> Having such well, a response. So I've thought through some, some other responses. So great. Well, and I can tell you from listening to other technology podcasts that there are a lot of Apple fans out there that speak some truth sometimes about the, the complexity of these markets that also get accused of being Apple haters too. So I think it's just part of the process. I, I personally love all tech equally, but, um, the, I think that it's a complex debate that, uh, we'll continue to work with tonight. Yeah. Well, I love, I love tech that's powerful and it just works. So. That's, um, what do you want to, do you want to tell us for, we, I'm sure we have new folks. We've got people probably that have just joined us from, from Blab. What is your summary? Cause one of the things that I've really liked, um, about the, um, oh gosh, what was the EdTech network that went for a while and then it, then it actually. Oh, EdTech Talk. Well, no, EdTech Talk is still going, but, um, oh. the podcasting network out of Illinois and, uh, Ed Gamer was part mm-hmm. of that network. Anyway, they just did a really nice job. Every time they started kind of a station identification, they said their mission and, and all this kind of stuff. So you don't have to do that, that formally, but what, what you want to do another quick synopsis of what we're hoping this is going to be. And then, sure. then I'll throw it to you to actually do our first question of the night. And you don't have sure. to do my, the one from last week first. Sure. Um, well, um, so obviously we're, we're two folks that, that care a lot about educational technology. Um, I am an administrator for the state virtual school in the state of Montana and Wes is a technology director and we, we've both been in and out of different jobs related to the classroom and classroom technology. But our goal here is to really, uh, engage in conversation, not only with each other, but with a wider audience to talk about some of the, the, the trends related to technology. Um, there's a lot of tech journalism out there. It's a proliferating, um, community, but a lot of times I, I listen to tech journalists who may know the technology, but can't really, uh, uh, really give great commentary on how that applies to classrooms, students, teachers, um, school districts, even the nation as we use technology to, to better, uh, evolve our teaching inside the classroom environment. So we hope this to be an open forum. Um, it's unrehearsed. We're not scripting anything. Um, even when we do script something, uh, Wes and I are very good about going off script. So it wouldn't matter if we did. But um, we hope to, you know, really engage the community in, in interesting uh, discussions related to, I think, something we're all excited about, which is the prospect of technology in the classroom. Absolutely. And and so we're new to Blab. Um, you there there are some, um, and maybe I'll pull up these tips. There's a there's a, a backslash you can do that'll throw questions into a queue. Um, Chris Chris Worley said earlier there was no echo. Yes, I had another browser tab open <laughs> to my own Twitter account. So uh, at least we got that resolved. And I think if you love something, I think this is like Periscope. You can like, if you're on your mobile device, you can tap on it and share the love. Anyway, we're going to learn, we're going to learn about this. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. This is going to be archived and I would highly suspect we're going to have more people seeing this, you know, asynchronous rather than synchronous. But Jason, what is the first topic for the situation room today? Well, um, the um, Ed Week blog reports that President Obama has announced a computer science for all initiative 
and what he's calling an ambitious all-hands-on-deck initiative to try to get every student in the United States to code. And, of course, this is a very important topic as we uh, host uh, uh, weeks of code, months of code, days of code, um, and, and a number of initiatives, hours of code, in an attempt to get more students in the coding environment um, this seems to be an acknowledgement that the uh, coding is here to stay and now has a national advocate as opposed to the many nonprofit, educational, and state and local advocates in that prospect. And this is also a zoo show, so we're going to have some different animals that are just going to kind of come in and out. Uh, Jason's starting with the cat, and I'll be having the golden retriever show up a little bit later. It's also a chance to challenge us to see if we're able to continue to maintain focus with, you know, large furry animals that are crawling in front. Well, I had thrown that article about the the, the uh, computer science for all out. <clears throat> I'd read some discussion saying, you know, this sounds great. It's a nice soundbite uh, for the president. But, you know, the bottom line is Congress has to fund this. And, you know, in Oklahoma, we've just had some dramatic cuts in our in our budget. And we were poorly funded before the oil crash. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I uh I heard a very uh, influential person in our community, I'll just say, last week who, who said that what we have today is not sustainable for carbon producers. And so, you know, our economy is is hitting the tanks. Um, educational funding is, uh, you know, it's where, show us the money. You know, where does it go? Um, but, it, it you know, it, it does make a difference for advocates who are in positions of leadership to, to advocate for things. Uh, you know, the negative side of that is with no child left behind and all the test focus that we've had, you know, when, when leaders say testing, 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 you know, suddenly a lot of people start to believe that that's the purpose we exist in school. So I am glad to, I saw a tweet this week too, where there is someone who's like director of making out of the White House or something, you know, they've had not only science fairs, but maker fairs and I'm really glad that we have that kind of presidential um, emphasis on it. Um, at my school, we have not been known as a, as a STEM school, but we've got a number of people who are interested. We've, we had, we've had a STEM club this last fall for elementary kids. We've got a club going at the high school. Um, there's a lot of intersection points. <clears throat> we've got a nonprofit here in Oklahoma City called the Div Junior. And if you're at all a coder, you know the Div tag, uh, which is a little play, uh, play on words. And it's to try and, and inspire and encourage and, and, um, you know, provide opportunities for the next generation of computer programmers, you know, to find their niche. Coding is not going to be for everybody. Uh, but, um, I just, uh, actually listen, I'll have to pull up the, the, uh, the name. Um, program or be programmed, um, and a, a shout out, a posthumous shout out to Bob Sprankle, because I could always get great, um, book recommendations from Bob, um, Douglas Rushkoff. It's a little bit old, uh, and I need to write some reviews of the different books, but I mean, his point is not saying everybody needs to spend a year of their life learning C++. It's that we need to move beyond the consumer level and move to the, the creator producer level and also the, the deliberate user, you know, whether that's an if this, then that and, you know, where I'm going to take certain articles about my school or who mention, you know, topics that I'm interested in and throw them into Evernote or there's all kinds of ways that we can take, we can have agency over devices and we can, you know, move out of this purely consumptive role. So I am supportive of that. What's, what's your take on the, the announcement? I, I agree with you as well. I think part of the complexity, though, and, and, and I'm actually involved in some conversations related to this in, in my home state, which is Montana, but you know, the, you mentioned that not every kid's going to want to code, and, and I think that also inspires another discussion to say that computer science is amongst a number of topics that probably deserve more focus in our K-12 schools. And the one that I keep thinking about, partially because I have a personal passion for this content, but more importantly, um, because there's a lot of advocates in this regard, too, is things like personal finance content, like how kids get out of school without understanding the role of credit cards and debt and personal finance and, and, and balancing checkbooks. I mean, every millennial in the world just went, oh, what's a checkbook? But the point is, is that there's a that there's a, a lot of content that computer science competes with. And one of the biggest challenges in a state like Montana is that we don't have a ton of teachers that are qualified to um, um, teach uh, the, the the what I would call hard computer science content as opposed to the soft computer science content that is is just as valuable but is aimed at a a, a separate uh, contingency. You know, students that are learning apps or productivity or um, even ones that are utilizing um, environments that are 
um, uh, maybe not coding per se, but, but are constructing things at a different level. Um, you know, that, that's, that's what will, most schools will probably move towards, not because they don't support the notion of coding, but because it's, it's difficult to find teachers with the experience to really make that environment sing. So I think those are, um, really, um, important points. Uh, but whenever we can get, um, uh, the president of the United States, anyone at a national level to advocate for having students better understand the technology that they're using, that's that's a very positive development. So I would agree broadly, too, that's a good a supportive part of our process. Okay. Well, I want to kick out the next one, which I don't know. This It's kind of a crossover a little. It, it I would have called this a curiosity link, but I'm going to talk a little bit about the video and the green screen you know, side of this. Um, the fourth link that we've got on today's notes, and by the way, um, if you have not already, you can go to edtechsr.com. Click the, the link for links, <clears throat> and you'll see the Google Doc that we've got of of things that we prepared. Not necessarily in that order, and we don't, won't necessarily talk about all of them. Um, but the link is New Evidence of a Ninth Planet. And this is from a website called The Kid Should See This. Why is it just – I guess it's just The Kid Should See. Um, the last two years teaching fourth and fifth grade STEM, I loved – you know, getting these different headlines that would come out and, and showing these with kids and talking about them for a little bit. And, uh, and this one is awesome. Like, so to explain why we have the orbits that we do, you know, there's this theory that there's a planet, you know, much larger than earth. And I think, I don't remember if it says it was Neptune size or larger. Um, and so that's cool. And, and by the way, that is something really valuable that we can do, uh, with our own kids, with, you know, students that we teach, uh, being able to be a connected educator and pulling in, you know, articles. And then this is a video that's a simulation. I think it was done at Cal State. My thought as far as why this, why I want to mention this is the ability to create video and to take, you know, a simulation or still images and then insert some commentary with that and then think about text and how to put that together. Man, that's an essential skill of the 21st century. And I have... I want to give a, a shout out, a, a shout out, a shout out, a shout out to uh, Lucy, who's te- uh, I won't say her name right. It's De La Brue. She's tech savvy girl. We have the tech savvy teach here with Jason, and she's tech savvy girl up in Vermont. <clears throat> she ho- she puts together an awesome institute in July called uh, Create, Make, and Learn. And uh, two summers ago, went up there with our full family and uh, got into green screen, which I'd only dabbled with a little bit. And it's interesting when you get a tool in your toolkit and suddenly it's like, we can make green screen videos everywhere, you know? And so we have this kit that we've, I've used in my classroom. My wife has it in hers. You know, we've bought a couple, it's 140 bucks for a three light set, the full, you know, green screen. We're talking tripods, lights, the whole deal off Amazon. Um, you know, we've got a couple of those now that we've ordered at school. We got our seventh grade Spanish teacher right now who's been doing skits for 15 years, but they're doing green screen now. And uh, we just came back from a Wednesday night at church where we've said, you know, it'd be kind of cool to make our computer lab into this like media production. And here's this link. And we just they just ordered a green screen. And, you know, so we're going to start doing some iPad green screen stuff there. So, you know, that that isn't necessarily a news item. I just wanted to kind of do a plug for it's a cool thing to talk about, to bring in. And, and, and then think about being a producer, you know, kids are now spending so much time watching YouTube. I mean, and and here we are, we have 18 live viewers. Thank you for joining us. How amazing that is. I mean, we can be the media now we're able to create our own shows. I mean, I don't know how many years ago, Jason, we couldn't have really dreamed of here. I'm just going to sit in the back room of my house in Oklahoma city and connect to you. And we're going to broadcast to the world and we're going to archive this. I mean, it is spectacularly incredible. So that's my, I don't know. I don't know what that is. That, that wasn't really wasn't a news item, but I, it's a very cool article. It's a very cool video. And as I, as I wanted to share that too, I, I just wanted to, to put a plug for sharing that kind of stuff with kids, but also thinking about the media production and, 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 and us being producers. We talked a little bit last time about, you know, producing and consuming and that kind of stuff. So any thoughts on that one? I have a very specific memory from 34, 33 years ago where I was a, an early elementary school student and in a gifted and talented program in Great Falls, Montana. And we thought we were amazing because we had access to a video camera that had a beta uh, tape deck hooked to it. So one guy uh, hiked around the camera and I had this big clunky 
uh, massive battery uh, beta uh, tape deck, and we thought we were the kings of the world by being able to go around school and re- record things. And of course, it wasn't that editable. It wasn't uh, uh, really that archivable. The beta tapes were the, the, the these ones we had access to weren't very long. They were of low quality. And now, um, you know, utilizing, and I, you know, I, I always think it's quite interesting. It's the iPad that's the platform for this, but this is not an expensive piece of technology and has such an extraordinary, um, a capability to it. And, and I think we had talked about a little bit this last week. I'm not really a producer on the iPad. This is my, my, my consumption advice that I, I love to pieces, but the, the fact that if I wanted to tomorrow record a video, it would be effortless to do so. And there are a hundred pathways to do that. And I think that's just a, a stunning turn of events um, and how quickly this technology is evolving and then could ultimately impact the classroom. And so I think that's a big part of, of, of the process here. I do think that leads into the next couple set of, set of articles here, and I think we're going to go back and, and maybe pick up on a couple themes from last week as this cat tries to climb apparently onto Ooh, my head. By the way, this you is gotta Stash. Introduce, you got to introduce the cat. Yeah, this is Stash the cat. So um, she is – Stash has a mustache. Yeah, yeah she uh, um, is quite a cat. So – um, and she, uh, for being a cat that acts like a cat, she just decides very awkward times to be super needy. So um, she's going to lay in my arms here as, as we chat. Um, so there, there's a set of articles. Uh, we started on this topic last week. We were talking about um, Apple's uh, quarter one results. Um, oh, puppy. There we go. Yeah. Hello. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Squirrel. It's a- Animal Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Um so there, there, we, we talked last week, uh, briefly about, uh, Apple's quarter one results and the fact that iPad sales are dropping through the floor. It's, it's uh, an extraordinary. Off last year. I think. Yeah. Um, and the, despite the fact releasing a new form factor in the iPad and, and yada, yada, yada. But and there were two articles this week. Profitable quarter. Yeah, pro- so that was. Oh, and, whatever. and to be clear, anyone's profitable quarter ever, right? Yeah. Like they've made more in one quarter than any company in the history of, of the world. Um, but there is an ongoing, uh, maybe hand wringing process. Um, but uh, there's a couple articles that I think struck our fancy this week. The first one is, uh, West posted that our second guys reporting that there's a new release of Chrome on iOS that, uh, due to some changes in the way iOS 9 works and also some evolution on Chrome's part, um, it's, it's finally as stable and as fast as the native Safari browser. And I think that it was an interesting juxtaposition to an article I want to talk about. Um, Walt Mossberg from Recode, uh, wrote an interesting commentary today saying that it's time that Apple goes back and reinvents um, the stock apps in the iOS uh, uh, universe because they're starting to become both long in the tooth and are extremely poor uh, in function compared to their alternatives that exist in the very fast-moving app store in the Apple ecosystem. So, uh, Wes, let's start here. Um, first and foremost, what browser do you use on iOS devices? So it's Safari most of the time just because that's the default. You know, Chrome, every once in a while when I'm sharing something from Safari, this is like where I want my AI to really advance, you know, to put all the the things in a tweet and everything that I need. So I'll flip over to Chrome, you know, every once in a while. On the on the laptop, you know, it's almost Chrome exclusively. I have Firefox, but I I rarely use it and I rarely I rarely use Safari. But yeah, I'm that I'm that default browser user and uh, I haven't really had a compelling reason to predominantly use something else. I will throw in that I've used Dolphin a little bit and this last week <clears throat> our Spanish teacher wanted to know uh, or no, my wife and I ended up showing him too. They both wanted to know how can we use an iPad to, to download video from YouTube and then, you know, put it into the, into a green screen video. It is possible, uh, but you can't do that with Safari and you can do that with Dolphin. And I, I, I wrote a post, uh, and I, I can throw that in the links about how to do that. So how about you? Are you a, are you a Safari user or are you, you, you know, jumping, jumping ship and going, going Google with, uh, your iOS device browser? I, I go Google. So, and, and part of that's because, um, you know, when I use, because I, I, I do have a kind of a cross-platform life. I do use an iMac at work. I now use a Windows PC at home. I use a Mac laptop. 
and I, I fairly often use a Chromebook. And so when I have uh, a workstation set up in, in, in Chrome, especially since I can log into multiple accounts and create kind of multiple, uh, workstations, I'm able to do so without, um, or get access to my links and, and, and kind of my desktop environment on Chrome. But the other reason why, and this is a little more subtle, and I certainly don't want to start, um, you know, a big debate on, on Android versus iOS, because I think both platforms are very advanced and, and quite useful, but, um, the, the one thing that, that Android brings for me that I still wish existed in a cleaner state on iOS is the ability to, um, you know, move around apps effortlessly when I have a piece of information. Um, iOS is at least functional there, whereas two versions ago of iOS, it wasn't functional at all. Like you stuff just stuck there and you could trade links and that's about it. Now they're starting to do, um, a kind of the sharing sheet model, which is, is not, not bad. It works fairly what, well. What does that I mean? think what's, that's a, what's sharing sheet? I like- those, well, I think, I think I might actually have a, a, an Android term in, introduced into there, but when you, when you click on share, um, it gives you different options, little, little icon options to go between the different, and I think that technically that's called a sharing sheet, but. Okay. We um, call I it the share square at our school. Yeah, share square. That works too. So, <laughs> um, so for me, um, you know, I, I like to sub in my own applications, right? And I, I, I would like to choose those pieces. And in Android, it's very easy to say, you know, I don't want to use this browser, but that browser, and then every single app can then point to that browser. Um, you know, when you're subbing in or your email client or your Twitter client or your Facebook client or whatever you choose to do. Whereas, um, you know, iOS still tries to kind of uh, you know, cement you in to a, a certain set of tools and in preference to one another. It's not as, as effortless to to make default applications. And it's kind of a throwback and to I Microsoft think, a little bit. Remember the IE war yeah, and, and, and bundling yep. and Microsoft? Oh, yeah. Oh, we can't unbundle. It has to be essential to the whole experience. I was like, yeah, right. right. You can do that. And Matt, it's right. kind of the same thing. It's weird how that's turned and Apple's in that driver's seat. Absolutely. And, and I think the point that, that Mr. Mossberg was making in the article in Recode was that, um, the problem we're running into, now I think about it, I think it's actually in, in the verge, but the, the, our, the, the problem we're running into is that, Apple is not keeping up on developing the core apps inside the iOS atmosphere. And so, um, you know, for example, Apple Music, um, uh, is somewhat replaced the old iPod app on iOS. It's the old iPod app in a lot of ways is better if you're not an Apple Music purchaser. That makes that experience clunky because it's, it's becoming dated. Uh, the most famous one for me is the podcasting app, even though they've updated kind of in the last couple of years. There are infinitely better possibilities uh, around the iOS uh, app store, which makes um, that app not as useful. And I think one of the things that Apple used to be great at was that their stock apps on the mobile platform were always at least good, if not great, which means that you didn't have to download a single app to duplicate, um, you know, core functionality because the, the stock apps were, were, were great. Um, I think email is long in the tooth on, on the iPad. I think that, uh, the podcast app is, is a bit long in the tooth. Um, you know, those, those need updating and the hardware is, you know, continue to be excellent. I really like iOS nine. I think that every, every version of iOS has been better than the last one, but, um, you know, they do have some cash. A little bit. From it's my understanding short, and reading yeah, the media, um, they, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's usually mostly in Ireland, but, um, you know, they, they arguably have access to the world's greatest talents, um, regarding development. So the question becomes now, you know, can they, you know, go, go buy some developers, you know, acquire is the term where you, they buy up companies with great developers, go buy a couple of, of independent developers up. And have them work on your core apps. So, so I'll push back on that strategy. a little bit. Um, I, one of the, the, the best, well, I love my Audible, my Audible app. Love it. Love listening to the books. Um, becoming Steve Jobs. Listen to that. And, and one of the most interesting things I think I got from, from that biography was, you know, that Steve originally didn't want an app store. It was originally just going to be like Apple TV 1.0, yeah. where yeah, you got what Apple, you know, delivered and that's it. Right. And, <clears throat> The reason I want, and this is a segue back to our topic from last week where, you know, we were looking at the quarter scores and the quarter scores, their scores, I guess, the quarterly results from Apple and, you know, asking, is this, you know, is this the end and the tipping point? Um, 
I'll just steal a couple good points that I got from the Clockwise podcast this week listening. You know, as we mentioned, you know, it was the most profitable quarter ever. People don't tend to roll over their iPad or their tablet as fast as they do with their phone. They're used less. The function also just tends yeah. to, to seem to be, I mean, we're still using iPad 2s, you know, in my wife's classroom. She still has hers. We're, we're about to upgrade. And then there's the resale market yeah. as well. And also, doggone it, the, the, you know, the New York Stock Exchange should not define our, you know, whole litmus test of success. And, oh, you know, are we going to continue to meet the, the market's expectations? <clears throat> we had a discussion Monday at our middle division uh, faculty meeting because we've, you know, got some funds that are available. And there's a debate about should we, you know, get a, a, another cart. There is a cart in the library of iPads or should we have these for individuals? And then folks threw out Android. So Wes has this chance. Okay. How do I respond to this? Cause we got five carts of Chromebooks in our middle level at, at grades five through eight. And we've got one, one cart of Macs, you know, one of the most beautiful things Apple has done successfully is they've created an, an environment for app developers. Number one, to be able to create apps that run consistently across platforms, across the iPhone, across the iPad. And that's the fragmentation of Android, even though I've just dabbled a little bit and I've got a Nexus 7 that I haven't turned on in about six months. I mean, I've, I've dabbled with that, but it's fragmented in a way that iOS is not. <clears throat> developers are, I don't know that the gold rush for apps is really as, Real. I mean, you hear these stories of folks who are who are realizing income. In fact, I didn't put this in, but Louis C.K., the comedian, did you see this? He just released a a, docu a a short little movie for five bucks, and he had done some other experiment. And again, this is somebody who's already made it in mainstream media. He's an outlier. It's not like you're a newcomer, but he he had made a million bucks on you know some something that he done. It's, you know, disintermediating disintermediating the publishing process, being able to go straight to buyers. Anyway, I had this chance to talk to faculty and, and talk and talk about the iPad and basically defend it because in the long run, these technologies are going to become a lot more similar in their capabilities. And, and it, and in terms of digital divide, I mean, it, it will be great for people to more people to have these kinds of things in their hands. But I challenge anyone and we have 15 live viewers now, you know, tell me how you can create a iMovie trailer on an Android device like you can in iMovie on the iPad. Tell me an app on Android like Green Screen by Do Inc. that is so drop dead simple. We can have wrinkles and shadows and all this stuff in this green screen. And it is like, I mean, the whole iPad thing, it's magical. I mean, it really, it really does seem that way for some of those creative, you know, type of, of apps. And then also the ecosystem for those things. So. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to revisit that a little bit, yep. you know, chime in with some of those points to say, yes, it was an extremely profitable, you know, um, you know, quarter for Apple. And what do you want to do? Uh, I try to make this point too. We've in schools, we've thought a lot about one-to-one -one, and that's kind of a big deal. Are you one-to-one? -one? What's your one-to-one -one platform? You know, what have you, what have you standardized on? Cause that's what we do in schools. We standardize. Um, but Outside of the classroom, you know, and, and even inside as a teacher, I'm living in a multi-platform world. So I'm competing with you now, Jason, because I have my my Dell. Yes, it's a Dell Chromebook, you know, 11 inch right here. <laughs> Do I have my Montana sticker? I have a moose crossing on here. Um, so, I mean, I've got my Google Docs here. You know, I have the phone, my iPad sitting over here. We've got, I'm, we're on the laptop. So we're living in this multi-device world. And uh, one of the things that I do love is the fact that as an educator, I, I'm not wedded to a single platform. Um, and I, I have that opportunity to, to try different ones and advocate. And my favorite answer when people are like, what do you like is, you know, I like powerful tools that just work, you know, and if Google can give that, which they have right. uh, to a large degree with Chrome and with, with, uh, you know, Gmail and Google Docs, I mean, great, bring it. You know, they have done better in the cloud than Apple ever has. And I still bear some grudges for iWeb and for, yep. you know, whatever, mobile me. <laughs> I lost mobile me websites. I don't know how I missed the note, you know, that summer when all that stuff was going offline, but I didn't, there was stuff I didn't back up. I still have a G3 Mac sitting over here right. on the, uh, you know, underneath my old desk and we've got old hard drives, firewire ones. And, you know, there's stuff we didn't export at 720p and there's video. And anyway, it's, uh, I, you know, what are the, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to create? 
Uh, that also goes back to the Obama article. You know, if we're focusing on not only coding, but STEM and creating and creativity and, you know, becoming producers, all of those things are good. So I think, you know, Apple is not, you know, rolling over uh, because iPad sales went, went down 25 no, percent. And I don't think that we should in any way, shape or form panic or change course in terms of looking for tools and using tools that are going to effectively, you know, help us do the tasks that we want to do, which hopefully are not just the tasks we did yesterday. It's not just, oh, let's go to the lab and word process because we took a keyboarding class in seventh grade. And so, you know, all these kids and they can't even keyboard. And I can't tell you how much I use Siri now, you know, Right. Every time I have a chance to, when I'm in a meeting, I can't use Siri, but almost all the other times when I'm on my mobile device, I am, I'm speaking into email. I'm speaking into text messages. Um, you know, I'm keyboarding far less. So anyway, that, those were the, the few points I wanted to make. Is there anything else you right. kind of wanted to add yeah. on that whole thread? Right. Yeah. The, the one other thing I want to mention last week that I, that I think is, is where part of the future is here. I, I, I've never needed to put my iPad in someone's corporate network, blah, 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 because it's my device and I don't, no one buys me an iPad. It's my own iPad. I don't care what email system security, blah, blah, blah exists. I don't care. Um, but you know, I do hear from tech directors a lot that, um, you know, iPads aren't friendly in corporate environment, whatever. But the one thing that, that is true is that, you know, Apple's had now, I think, an 18-month-year-old or 18-month-year-old, 18-month-old partnership with IBM Business Services. And that's the the one, um, you know, part of that, I hope, is not just, you know, how to integrate more desktops and laptops in, inside of a corporate environment. But I think or I'm hoping is they can have some opportunity to also uh, answer some of the iPad questions related to that. I think if you could get an iPad to... I, I feel, feel blasphemous saying this, but if you could get an iPad to log into a Windows domain, um, or if you could, you know, share across and access, you know, like a, a, um, district based cloud server with that data to where you could hand it around a classroom, that would revolutionize those devices for a lot of the, the, the technical critics inside of school districts. And it would also make it more useful as a, you know, imagine an iPad that had seven to 10 core apps on it, but all the storage deferred back to a student's cloud account so that, you know, it could, it could provide the, the, um, the cloud that, that Apple's never been able to provide, but at a district or, or and we should or interject that no one is underwriting the ed, the ed tech situation room at this time. We may explore our, uh, sponsorship opportunities, but <laughs> the, the good thing I'm about to say with, about Microsoft has nothing to do with sponsorship as it wouldn't be anyway in the future. I want to be this independent voice, <clears throat> but we talked last time about looking again at Microsoft, the things they're doing with 365, which I, Personally, I'm, I'm very, you know, you can't, you can't do everything for everybody. We've got more public schools to the south, and I know June Kim, their tech director, they're, they're doing a 365 pilot along with having Google Apps and Gaze. <clears throat> but um, we talked about Minecraft last week and how the new Minecraft EDU, they bought Minecraft EDU, and Minecraft for Education is going to have these logins for kids. And to me, it sounds like Microsoft might wisely be trying to use Minecraft as a gateway drug to 365. Oh, by the way, kids, now that you have your Minecraft login, why not have some real excitement and create some Word documents in the cloud? You know, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just being cynical. Right. <laughs> right. Or. Or Xbox IDs, right? I mean, Xbox has arguably in the, been the most successful Microsoft initiative in the past 20 years at the consumer level. Their Xbox is a Windows 10 device now, right? At least it's evolving to be a Windows 10 device. That's the same lock. Oh yeah, it, it, Xbox will run Windows 10. Like the, the next generation mm. of the current console, the, uh, will, is, is a Windows 10 operating system. It's not Windows 10 like we think Windows 10. Like there's probably no start button. And it's not a desktop, but it's the same core operating system. And you still log in, um, um, you know, with an, with a, a Microsoft ID and, and they, they're certainly, you know, making up ground. I do want to mention one other thought related to, to podcast sponsors. You did already give a shout out to what's the most likely scenario for a podcast sponsor, which is Audible. 
Um, and again, we are not underwritten by anyone, but I am also an audible user. So just, just, if know, there's potential actually massive not dollars. in the Guinness Book of World Records yet, but as someone who, who actively tracks over 200 podcasts, do you know anyone else in that category? I don't, you know, Jason is, uh, is a very avid, uh, walker and consumer of podcasts. And so it's going to be exciting to explore that. I think speaking of exploring, I'm going to go ahead and, and click the yep. unlock uh, button over here. And what that means is we've got an open seat. And if uh, you're one of our live 15 viewers right now, um, and you would like to take a seat, you should be able to click. And if you'd like to chime in on what we've been talking about so far, we've got about 25 minutes left. Uh, you know, be brave. Jump into the sandbox here. Click. Uh, you're going to, you're, you're going to want to, you may want to have a headset on. We'll give it a shot. Um, I will mention that I was, maybe I said this last time, I was in a Google Hangout with a friend who was um, wanting to get uh, everybody connected, and he ended up tweeting out the actual join link to the Hangout, which allowed anybody to not not just view, but, you know, get in. And uh, that is not was not a good thing. So we're, we'll just leave this seat open. And if, if uh, one of you wants to, wants to click in, um, I think I saw Rod Lucier join. I don't know, Rod, if you're still here, long time, no talk. It's awesome to, to see your name cross here. I got to get my family up. That's what we should do. Jason Rod's brother owns this awesome outfitter <clears throat> um, camp uh, out at up, up North of Toronto and uh, right on the, right on the lake. And we did the, um, Oh gosh, Am I going to draw a blank on, on what we, what we called it? It was, it was basically, it, it, uh, we were disconnected, highly, highly connected educators, you know, going out into the, into the, uh, wilds, uh, to do writing and then we did canoeing and all this stuff. And the food was like beyond, beyond amazing. So anyway, that was a little, little flashback to, to that time. You want to toss out, uh, another topic? Because by the way, what we're going to, we're going to experiment with this format. If yeah. we may, you know, set up an actual theme for some different, we may not, not just do news. Uh, we may have some guests and, and kind of play with this, but, uh, I'm liking, liking this a lot so far. So I saw you threw this in there and I, and I can't resist, um, the, the article about Yahoo. So, um, Every tech outlet is reporting that Yahoo may be finally putting their company um, up for sale. And, um, and of course, this has been an interesting story because Melissa Meyer, who came from Google, um, took over as CEO of Yahoo. And there was a lot of excitement around her taking over. But sometimes you can't always captain the Titanic out of an iceberg situation. So, um uh, I, I guess I'd start with, well, first of all, Wes, I, I think okay. you're, you're still so flickering. You, you immediately you? cut to the chase because uh, this is why I'm concerned about Yahoo being sold. So I wrote Playing With Media, my first book in 2011, which I've got to rewrite. And it was a lot about posturous. This is the risk when you write a book about tech and you're specific to tools. And, of course, Twitter bought posturous and it died. And even Posthaven, who was created by another co-founder, hasn't lived up to that hoopla. I've still been paying $5 a month for that. And I think, I don't know, I just haven't got my money's worth. Flickr is huge. There are over 60 million Creative Commons by license, which means just give us credit. I mean, you can find a picture about virtually everything that you can use for free commercially or non-commercially. I've got, I don't know, 17,000. I, I could go and look. Uh, I, I've just got a ton of pictures and I'll, and pretty much for every single blog post. And I've been blogging since 2003 on WordPress since 2007. I have 45,427 photos on Flickr. So if I have to suck those down and, you know, put them up somewhere else, because at one point I was doing this, I was keeping these folders and I'd make an album and whatever. And finally I'm, I'm just trusting the cloud, you know, to put all that up. So. For those that don't know, um, and thanks to uh, um, GITIS, I'm not sure how to say say that Twitter ID. She's saying we are well informed. Thank you very much for your kind kind compliment. Um, Yahoo basically, like most of their money comes from an investment that they made in all. I think it's Alibaba, isn't that right? It's the Chinese um, company that is doing this, like Amazon, and and so like most of their money is coming from this investment. So they're not, their services that they're doing are not producing their revenue and their income. Perhaps it's inevitable. I, I don't know, 
Um, it is a story about the need to reinvent and just IBM, like they've reinvented themselves, right? Uh, you know, I don't know if we can say many companies, but there are companies that are successfully reinventing themselves. Dell, you know, Dell now has all of these different services. We, you know, we're like a target school or account for our, for our Dell rep, which is kind of cool, actually. Um, as a private school, we're in a different boat with E-rate and things like that than, you know, some other people, but it's, um, you know, they've got all these services. They got printers. They got here. I'm going to be giving my shout out for Dell. Maybe they'll be underwriting us soon. Um, but our sonic wall, you know, they've purchased all these different companies. And this is kind of how, you know, the fish in the sea work. You know, you, you are the big company and you acquire these other ones. They went private so that they could become more flexible and not be as accountable to public shareholders. Anyway. So yes, Wes put that article in because I fear that Yahoo's going to finally croak and they're going to say, what is this flicker thing? We don't need this. And that's been one of the most important web 2.0. Anybody remember that term from, you know, what, 10 years ago? One of the most important platforms for sharing. Uh, I don't interact with Flickr users nearly as much because we have Twitter and we've got other things to do. But as a as a place to to put those pictures, to share them, you know, I personally am jazzed whenever somebody uses a photo of mine in an article. And I got a phone call. There's a there's a museum in Washington, D.C. that was doing an exhibit about the American home. And I took a photo a few years ago on a Saturday morning of our kids uh, not watching cartoons, but all on laptops. It was before iPads and they were on Club Penguin and they were doing it was before Minecraft as well. Anyway, they wanted to use that picture of our family, you know, in this museum in Washington, D.C. And I'd signed this agreement. And I think they may be they may even I don't know. They were talking about cutting a check and, and whatever. I, I have never thought that I'm going to make a lot of money on Flickr. But I would be I will have a serious, you know, web funeral uh, for Flickr if it if it ever goes bust. So what's your thought on that? Do you think it's going to be impossible for, for Yahoo to pull it around and it's just the, the death? We can start playing the death march now or whatever. Well, I mean, I, so I'm going to put a link and I guess I don't know how chat works here. So I'll just put it in the thing on the right and hope it goes somewhere. Um, this debate name, dear Marissa Mayer was purchased the day she took over Yahoo. Right. Um, and it's a great site because I think it, 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 spells out what the power users needed her to do, which was to make Flickr awesome again. And it is such a um, a, a go-to place. I know more photographers that prefer that over all the other options. The only other web platform that photographers have seemed to have made it to um, was a lot of them like Google+, Plus. but uh, speaking of, of dying platforms. But um, there is a, uh, you know, it, it has been the photo archive for so many people for so many years that it's death. And I don't think that's really what's going to happen here. Someone's going to buy up Flickr and someone will probably buy up Flickr that can tie it into an ecosystem. I don't think it's going to be Google because Google Photos is is a great platform that they've developed. And I think they're going to stick with it. Um, you know, it could be Microsoft. Um, it could be um Someone of the, uh, some, some other, uh, kind of B level player in the kind of network atmosphere or architecture. Heck, Facebook could probably buy it. But, um, you know, the, the point is, is that they just never successfully turn around the, the, um, the platforms that they really had the opportunity to turn around. And, and, and frankly, I liked some of the directions they were going into. Uh, Yahoo Video, um, you know, could have staged itself as a YouTube alternative, but instead started buying commercial content. And I thought that was, or this renting commercial content, that was smart. Um, you know, they, they had some network television shows moved to, to Yahoo video. Uh, for a while, they were the exclusive provider of Saturday Night Live content on the internet. Those were all really smart moves, but you know, it didn't get enough traction quickly enough. It died. Uh, pull the plug on it. It was like two or three weeks ago now that they announced that it, they pulled the plug on it. Um, Yahoo Mail for um, about six months, you know, two or three years ago, was at the actually right after uh, Miss Mayor took over, um, became the um, uh, like better right. That for a while they had become competitive again in a good, clean email interface. I'm not about to give up my you know, now 16 year old Gmail account. 16. No, twelve-year-old Gmail account, right? But you know, Wouldn't it's it still a nice. To give up it's, all it's that nice extra email spam interface. that you don't want, though. That that might be tempting. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's a good point. Of it, it's that, yeah. How many of us have done that? Uh, like, that that's another I'm episode. I'm finished with you, Yahoo. <laughs> I'm leaving. I've got a 
And maybe not because Yahoo was, yeah. well, it was because it didn't thread and other things, but it's also just because you signed up for too many things. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think those were their opportunities. And, um, you know, they, they, I don't think they made a lot of big splashes to try to pick up, um, pick up uh, tools that were popular or evolving or interesting in order to turn it around. They're not going to be a search engine um, a competitor. Um, they're not going to be a mail competitor. They are fairly unlikely to be a video competitor, especially now that they're out of the video business. But um, I know I you know, probably the best option is to pull it into parts and sell it off separately, you know, kind of bankruptcy style. But I know it's 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 very unfortunate. For a long time, Yahoo was kind of my center. Oh my gosh! And I can tell you stories. I mean, you know, it's did I admit this on the screen when I was teaching sixth grade in the in the late nineties? This was before we had you know child safe, school safe email. I mean, I remember teaching my sixth graders how to set up their own Yahoo accounts and how to how to join that that universe. And and uh, man. And then I remember I got, I, I, I talked to somebody and they told me about Google and I was like, what's Google? You know, and then, oh my gosh, you know, cause that was, yeah, Yahoo was a search engine. Okay. We're going to answer a live yeah. question from a viewer from Craig and Craig says, how did you two meet? Uh, and I'll, I'll share a little bit about that and then let Jason and then I'm going to raise the stakes because we want at least one person. We got about 15 minutes left to join us. If you join us as a guest tonight, I will tweet you a coupon code to download any of my eBooks, uh, which all need to be rewritten. And <laughs> one of them is about posturous. <laughs> but, but my, the, the mapping media one I've, I've done is just two years old and I've got all those separate chapters. So anyway, if you want some free eBooks from Wes, you know, click on open seat and then chime in with, with a thought. And, uh, cause it would be cool to, to see that. This, this feature of open seat work. So Craig, how did Jason and I meet? About four or five years ago, I had an opportunity actually through podcasting, uh, and, and connections via blogs and stuff to go up to Montana and, uh, share a presentation. I think it was maybe that administrator one that I did first, which was in the College of Education at Missoula that I think mm-hmm. has more screens than any other classroom I've ever been in. I have a picture of Jason teaching in there. There's four screens with like a, a Twitter stream and, you know, probably a Google Doc and all of this stuff. Anyway, it was for administrators and it was about, you know, being connected and blended learning. And then that, the ideal situation when you're a consultant is people like you and they invite you to come back. And so that's what happened from, I think, three different summers as I was able to go back to some conferences that they had both at the university and then Blackfoot, who is a local ISP. And so, uh, anyway, I just connected with Jason. We have some, some debate in common. Not that we were ever debated each other, but we were both involved in intercollegiate debate in, uh, high school and college. And, um, you know, he's on my Yoda list. I have a Twitter list of Yodas and these are people that I'm like, uh, yeah, they're very smart people that I want to keep learning to learning from and connecting to their mind. So what are your recollections, Jason? Um, about the same. And, you know, I think we, um, perhaps maybe engaged once or twice on Twitter. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I, I had a harder time, um, than, uh, what I called A-lister and tech people, uh, my first couple of years in Twitter was no one followed me. And then I figured out it's because I had to engage with people first. So it was my first real lesson on Twitter. Um, and, um, and I think we probably maybe tweeted back and forth a time or two. And, um, you know, uh, I, I will, I will say that because I know Wes still does consulting and presentation work. Um, he's worth your time and money. So, um, this brought, this, this I believe, brought in case to you by the so, situation room, Jason. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, um, um, I think we should, I, of our articles left, I want to throw a quick one up here and then, um, I've got kind of a, a geek link to share for the week. So, um, we're not going to talk about politics on this podcast, um, ever because actually I've heard Wes rant a little bit about politics. Um, I may have had some history myself. I actually am a former lieutenant gubernatorial candidate, which is a very long story. I'm, I'm the Wikipedia in case you're curious. Um, and, um, there is a, uh, you know, we have no desire to, to, I think, to introduce political themes want, related to elections here, but there was a very interesting. We don't want to invite that. You've got to be careful on social media. Yes, exactly. You know, what you, what you share. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah, and 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 you'll you'll know, very carefully, despite the fact that that I do have strong strong political opinions, you won't find me talking politics on Twitter. So, um, but there was a really interesting article in Recode. Um, um, I think it was uh yesterday that Twitter data and tweets related to candidates um kind of helped uh or drove home the point that uh, Mr. Trump was going to lose the Republican Iowa caucus. And the reason why I think this is interesting is because. Um, you know, we're obviously um, uh, eight years post the 2008 election where social media really made its its debut. Um, the 2004 election um, uh, was obviously you know, very Internet driven, but social media was very much its infancy at that point. Whereas in 2008, um, uh, especially in the campaign of uh, Mr. Obama, um, you utilize social media in a way that had never been used or seen in an election before. So now we're two elections post that. And here we are on uh, Twitter, Twitter, you know, Twitter. I have a new, I have a new startup <laughs> name. It's Twitter.com. Um, Twitter, uh, Twitter metadata or Twitter data, I guess, but Twitter metadata, you know, kind of helped call that, um, uh, the, the Iowa caucus results, um, Cruz, Trump, then Rubio. And I believe it, it also nailed, uh, like three, four and five as well. And, and I think that's something that, that's interesting, you know, especially if you think about it, the Iowa caucus will be unique, uh, to other electoral formats because the Iowa caucuses require you to show up and physically be present. And in some cases, you know, have to, to openly stand up and vote. The Democrats, you know, force you to, to stand on one side of the room or the other. And in, in the case of the Iowa caucus, one of, of four places, the, the two uh, major candidates, the, the third candidate and the undecided vote. And people will jeer and cheer you to get you to go to different parts of the room. It's an enormously interesting open election process. But, you know, Twitter's not unlike that, right? I mean, that there is, you have to openly declare thoughts and views. Um, there is a, um, um, an interesting, um, process where people can swade, uh, people's votes or at least, um, you know, uh, jeer them a little bit as they, um, you know, express their feelings and thoughts. And so Twitter might be a, you know, an interesting way to look about, uh, look at the, the election process. Um, and, and the other, other article or other article, the other story I heard this week, um, was on, um, uh, um, 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 um for all these podcasts I listen to, I can't name any of them. That's pretty entertaining. Um, the, um, not Planet Money, but the other one. Well, it was the, the weekend economics podcast I listened to talked to folks that said that, um, you know, that the, the social media and websites and donation sites and all the, the many properties here, they pick up a ton of metadata from that to try to make electoral decisions by sometimes even testing on, uh, email subjects, doing AB testing, um, on, uh, political messages and, uh, and both parties are on board with that now. I think Republicans were a bit behind in 2008 in utilizing some of those, um, kind of interesting, uh, uh, methods and ways of, of, of analyzing people's opinions, thoughts, and interactions. Well, that, that's, that's all changed now that, that, um, you know, even, even local elections, um, legislative elections in, in even rural states like Montana, you know, that online analysis is becoming a big deal. So I think we'll hear more of this and it has impact everywhere. I mean, metadata, data, big data, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, it's a big topic and it's, it's important to how we engage with one another, um, um, in, in the, in the broader, uh, and that's a perfect segue to a question that I just put at the end and we'll answer Craig's question. Craig said, do you have a link for the, the Twitter metadata comments? Uh, he didn't tweet it, but, uh, but, um, it's also on our, edtechsr.com slash links. And so you can, you can see all of those. <clears throat> we're doing something fun for leap year in our, in our middle division. Uh, we're having a, a leap day about elections. I'm partnering with another one of our teachers and I basically volunteered to do some kind of a fun interactive lesson about social media and elections with students. And so uh, I started a Google Doc of things and, you know, I was, you know, I, I was thinking about interactive writing and doing, you know, something with uh, Titan Pad, which is an Etherpad implementation because where students can have Chromebooks and we're going to build some kind of a document and we'll have chat. And I don't know. I was also thinking about doing something with money and I don't know if there's something online you know, knowing, we said we're not going to talk about politics, but knowing about super PACs and knowing about the role that money plays in elections and the, and the, um, the ways in which social media plays into this too, to Jason's point about, you know, how smart the Obama, you know, 
campaign was to use data to target specific groups. Um, I'll just say it's a little sad living in a, well, <clears throat> we don't get to see all the candidates here in Oklahoma like everybody else does because there's some folks that just say, it ain't worth my time. And some people don't care about that. And other people. Yeah, about Montana's, that. you know, Montana is your, yeah. your sibling yeah. in that so phenomenon. So this is a shout-out for so. anybody who is watching us live or who, or who uh, watches this later. Um, I would love to hear any of your ideas. I'll put a link to a Google Doc that I've started with the partner teacher <clears throat> for ideas. Uh, we've got a few weeks to kind of come up with things. I think I'll probably post about it on my blog as well. But uh, social media is huge, and also the, the contribution piece, right? The fact that I don't have to just go – I mean, this is maybe a dream – but the dream is I wouldn't have to just go to those traditional funders. Maybe I could actually look for smaller donations from many, many more people. You know, and if, if folks got mobilized, then that could be a, a viable way for me to fund a campaign. Certainly that I don't know. I mean, at a local or a state level, that might maybe that'd be more viable. And that's another level of going with this is. How does social media play into this with local politics? Not only with sites and apps that can tell you, I live here, here are my representatives, here are their emails. Are they on Twitter? Are they responsive? How are they using social media? Um, you know, is there a school out there where kids are interviewing candidates, you know, working with like the League of Women Voters or another organization to say, because this is what I want, okay? Here's an app idea. I'm just going to throw this out here because I'm not going to make this right now. I want an app that I can just tap on. Here's my house. I want to see all the representatives. I want to see the ballot that I'm going to basically have in November or, or in the primary. I want to tap and be able to not only see the bio of the candidates, I want to see a short video of them, you know, maybe talking for two minutes about, you know, their campaign. We could have those kinds of tools at our fingertips and I think dramatically improve the, edu the, uh, the educated voter, you know, the education of the voter stepping into the poll box because all of us have, have, I'm sure, walked in and said, who's running for county judge? You know, I mean, and if you don't know someone who's on the bench, you just might not have any idea other than having seen a sign that somebody, you know, paid someone to stick on the corner of the, of the you know, of the uh, busy street. Anyway, so that we're not revealing our political bit, but social media plays a huge role in that. I think that is a fascinating article, and I'd love to, to hear any ideas people have about you know, take it, let's take it back to the classroom. You know, how do we help our students become more informed about the roles that social media is playing and can play? I, I mentioned to my sixth grade daughter <clears throat> the other night, we were talking about writing and she wants to be an author. And I said, honey, do you know there's folks that just tweet for, for full time for their job? I mean, they work for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They work for the social media Really? Yes, this is important. And people who understand social media and can, can utilize it are going to be able to, um, you know, find new careers and new pathways. So would love to know if anybody wants to chime in. Okay. Nobody has taken us up on the open seat and we are coming up on the hour. So we're going to have to do our, our geek of the week picks. But if anybody wants to click that icon to open seat, you can be the first live guest on the blab, which by the way, we did get a question. I don't think it had a slash because you got to do slash Q in the chat for it to show up. Somebody asked why we, why we joined uh, blab. Um, it, it's a shout out to Peggy George. She's to, she told me about it and, and said it was a great platform and I gave it a try. And having dabbled with Ustream and Google Hangouts and all these different things, <clears throat> video, you know, traditional 323 video conferencing and all this stuff, it, it looked like an amazing platform. But I'll, I'll say Zoom is amazing too. And we used that last week for our EdCamp OKC meetup. Zoom lets you have up to 50 people in a single call for free with a 40, with a 40 minute, 40 minute, 40 minute advantage. <laughs> you don't go long with the meeting. So Jason, you want to do your geek, geek, geek of the week or, or another thought before you lead into that? Yeah. And I'll give you just a, a, a quick shout out to this. I've been using this for a whole one hour and five minutes and it's, it's not only super easy to use, it's amazing. Um, it shows you a map of where people are from. Um, it allows, you know, the Twitter stream, obviously, which is a great bit of interaction. Hell, um, yeah, and and, and you know, we had viewers this week, hello, which uh, was true of our you know, Hello, Texas. Hello, Arizona. Yeah. Right. Hello, <laughs> Texas. Hello. Texas. Texas. hello yeah. Shout out to Nevada. Come back next Shout out to the Great Lakes region. Um, so, um, uh, we want people to come back, Wes. Um, so, um, I have a, my shout out for the week, uh, or my geek link of the week is that, uh, there's a really great article I posted in, in the show notes, um, that a Google engineer has been going through and testing 
all USB-C cables. And for those of you unaware of USB-C, it's the new standard um, for USB devices. My guess is within five years, five years, within two years, most if not all phones will be on USB-C. It's also on the new MacBook. It's also on the new new Chromebook. Um, (laughs) Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. And it's not just power, it's... um, or it's power and video and all sorts of interesting things. But the problem, of course, with a new technology like that, the cables are very expensive. And so there's been, uh, you know, hundreds of knockoffs available on Amazon. So this, this, this Google engineer uh, in his spare time went through and tested uh, a large number of, of these cables and discovered that most of them were crap. And he recently announced that he had stopped for a while because one of the cables that he, he utilized fried his pixel his Chromebook Pixel, and also fried two of his um, uh, t- cable testers. And what I wanted to point out here is that, um, you know, don't use crappy cables, people. Um, that's just a horrible, horrible idea. Uh, I am the king of cables. I get mocked at work because um, I always have a cable in hand. I carry a bag full of them. I have a travel bag full of all sorts of technical contingencies, but I always buy high-quality cables. And I do have a specific reference for you. And, again, we're looking for sponsors. Um, if you go to monoprice.com, N-O-N-O-P-R-I-C-E.com, monoprice is an excellent retailer of uh, unbranded cables. It's, it's got the monoprice brand, but they're all certified cables. Um, they sell all sorts of interesting items there. Um, anything that they can, they can redo themselves and, and, and knock off um, a manufacturing costs to sell cheap. But a couple of weeks ago, for example, they had a special where they were selling um, the um, the Apple standard cable, the lightning cable, um, uh, they, they were two bucks a piece, uh, for three foot cables. And this is the highest quality cable, short of an Apple cable. And I trust them, you know, with, with my devices. So, um, and the question, yeah, mono price, M O N O. There you go. So monoprice.com, great generic stuff um, that I highly recommend um, if you're looking to uh, awesome. expand. And my EdTech situation room geek of the week is caffeine because I didn't know what I was going to do and I had to download it quick. When you don't want your Mac to go to sleep, it's free. You could download it from the App Store, but I just download it straight from their site. Uh, oh, of course, you always have to be careful when you're downloading stuff to make sure it's a legitimate deal and it's not adware or malware. And there are a few of those running around for the Mac. Uh, but it's kind of cool. You just run it, puts a little coffee cup up in your, um, I don't know, that's not the tray, but whatever, your menu bar up in the upper upper corner by the icon by Wi-Fi and AirPlay. And if you don't want your Mac to sleep, you just click it, and it's just faster than going to Energy Saver and changing your settings. So I use that for presentations a lot or, you know, when in a classroom, you know, I'm going to have my computer. I may not be touching it for a while, and I don't want it to go to sleep. Um, so that is, that's my, my geek of the week. So we do want to tell you that the EdTech Situation Room is at this point planning to be a weekly show. We're going to kind of see how this goes. You know, if this, this stresses us out too much, maybe we'll do every, you know, every other week or, or less. But I got to tell you, I was, I hung up last Wednesday going, I can't wait to do this again. Um, and so we're going to be doing this the same time, Wednesday nights. We're nine central, we're, we're eight mountain and whatever else that multiplies to in your time zone. Uh, we are archiving these. So this is available as a 32 kilobit friendly podcast. And I'll do a shout out to Alphonic, which is the podcast normalizing service that I use and love uh, because it does the metadata and it puts the show notes and you have a preset and it's great. I've been, I've done a ton of podcasts with them and I like compressed two kilobit because it just makes a, an hour show about 12 megabytes. So hopefully that's a little easier on your download if you're having to pay for mobile data or just having to download it on a 3G connection or something that's not LTE or high speed. Um, the other thought I had is since we are getting the archive video, I think I'm going to go ahead and just uh, offer up the video as a podcast as well. I'm using a plugin for WordPress called Podlove, which lets me create different feeds and I like to throw my files now into Amazon S3. Shout out to my friend James Deaton who told me about that uh, because it literally costs, you know, a dollar fifty for just gigs upon gigs of of downloaded podcasts. Um, I have a fair number of old shows on my on my old channel. So, um, so last thing we'll say is where you can find us online. I'll go, and then uh, Jason, you can share yours and and uh, tell us good night. Uh, you can find me on Twitter on the Twitters. 
at W Fryer, W-F-R-Y-E-R. And my main blog is speedofcreativity.org. And you can also just Google West Fryer and hopefully you will find a variety of valid links. And my <clears throat> main ed tech project is called Show With Media. So you can go to showwithmedia.com and I've got 12 different products that you can, you know, make with students. And um, my favorite part of that are examples. And those aren't platform specific. So there's a lot of different ways to make a narrative slideshow or an ebook. And I'm going to hopefully, uh, not hopefully, I will this year be uh, publishing the, the final six chapters of that. Uh, and my goal is to get playing with media redone as well. So, Jason, where can folks find you? And then you can you can take us out. Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at TechSavvyTeach. Um, my day job is I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school in Montana. But I also work with Northwest Council uh, for Computer Education, uh, the ISTE affiliate in Pacific Northwest. And I, I do blog for them, blog.ncc.org. And in just a few weeks, um, I will be a featured speaker at their spring conference, uh, NCC 2016 Seattle, Washington. This year's theme, Your Tech Savvy Adventure Awaits. And I'll be doing four presentations uh, at NCC this year, February 24th, 26th in Seattle, ncc.org slash attend. And so this was the EdTech Situation Room brought to you live from Missoula, Montana in fabulous Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And we'll see you next week. Have a great night.